it's actually been an issue of contention in our marriage because my husband has terrible sight and I like to mock the fact that I can read things so far away and he can't. <laughs> He'll look at the TV and I'm like, you can't read that? Ha ha ha, and I do. Um, so, <clears throat> hit 50, 46 this year, 46 this year. And I noticed, like, things that were possible before. You know, but I thought, my eyesight was so stellar before, it's just average now. That's what I thought. I'm just, this is what the average person can do. Because it felt like a superhuman power for a while. I could see so, like, close and far. The boys, um, the guys were away camping, Mitch and our two older ones, Luke and Max. So Dana and I were home together hanging out this weekend. And so, um, you know, when the other two get to do something, you gotta, you gotta come up with the goods for the one who got left behind, you know? So I was like, we're gonna party. Now, now we can party like it's 1999, because they're gone. <laughs> and I said, you know, while they're gone, is there somewhere you wanna eat? You know, and he was like, Ichiban? Listen, we have taught our kids poorly because we've taught them how to negotiate, start really high. We've taught them, we actually have said this to them, start really high, and then, like, we've, yeah, so he was like, Ichiban. I'm like, okay, that's like, if for Jackson, that's like reaching for the stars, right? That's, so I was like, you know what? It's just you and me. Yeah, for sure. So we go to Ichiban, which he loved, and he was like the life of the party at the table, right? Everyone was loving him. And I, the menu... I got it out and I was like, I can't read the small letters anymore on the menu. And so my son is next to me. He's like, he's just, everyone's laughing. He's the life of the party. And I'm having an existential crisis. Like, <laughs> I cannot. So listen, I'm sorry, but this is happening. I know, I know, I know, I know. I resisted. Okay. The problem is I can see my notes now. I can't really see any of you. See? This is what mere mortals have been dealing with forever. I'm just discovering. Okay. <laughs> you got to make a choice. Okay. So we, um, we've been working up to the idea that we want to increase our capacity. See? This is the problem. We want to increase our capacity for God. Right? So we come in and we experience God. We, we don't have to come here to experience God. How many of you know that if you're a believer, the Spirit of Christ comes to dwell within you? And you're, right, okay. So you can experience God anywhere. But in this house, we've been experiencing an increased, an increased sense, awareness of the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. Like it's willing to say like, God is always with me and Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Right? If you're a believer, he'll never leave you or forsake you. Um, but... There is a sense of God being super present with us, right, when we're in community together. And so we've been talking about how we, what it looks like for us in a community to love each other well, and all these other things, but how we also increase our capacity for God. And there's something about corporately what we do that increases our capacity for God when we love each other well, when the family of God comes together well, and also when we take that home with us. So I want to deal really quickly, before we get started into worship, I want to deal really quick with just the fact that as a family of God, when we come together, there's something powerful when we come together. Because we're focusing right now on what we take with us out of here, what we do outside of this place, what we learn here. But there's something powerful in the family of God together. 
And we know there's a couple of things that happen. One, in unity. Because you can have a thousand people sitting in a room. If there isn't unity, you can't do anything. You got two or three people praying together in Jesus' name in unity, and they're like setting all kinds of things to flight. Right? Breaking chains and, right? Unity is huge. And you only have that because you steward it well. You only love people well because you choose to steward that. Because every single person in this room will disappoint you at some point. If someone in this room has not offended you yet, <laughs> they will. And it could be you, it could be them, it could be both. I don't know. But at that point, you have to make a decision. Are we going to love each other well through this? Are we going to use kingdom tools and walk through this? Or are we going to let little, little divisions, little things start? Like, here's how you know. If there's a place you don't want to sit in a sanctuary because of who you know sits over there, you haven't dealt with something. I'm just telling you. So there's this sense of us as a family. We are a community of believers. God calls us a church, right? And we've made a commitment to each other to love each other really well. Um, one of the things that happens in healthy families is they grow, right? Healthy families grow in lots of ways. And so our families grow because people have children. Families grow because people marry into them. Families grow because people get added to them. And so in a lot of ways, our family grows, and we have to make a decision to be committed to the people who come into the family. Families who can't open their arms wide have trouble. They're not going to exist for long. How are you doing? So, as we think about corporate worship together, we get to do something very, very fun. We get to acknowledge that our family has grown a bit. So, having said that, Lucas and Sabrina, would you bring up your growing household? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to dedicate ages to the Lord today. And she's got family with her. It's going to come. So we talked about it a bit because I said, you know, normally like people have kids and, and we dedicate those babies to the Lord. And one thing that happens is we dedicate their life to the Lord. But it, we, the church also, during dedications, takes on a responsibility toward that child, right? Um, when they're a baby. Um, to walk in a righteous way toward them. And they're be part of the family. So um, Asia, we're not sure how long. She's going to be part of the household of Bidal Cheese. <laughs> it's a mouthful. Um, we're not sure how long that is, but we feel like we have an obligation as believers to say, we want to dedicate you into the family. And we want to take on a responsibility toward you, Asia, because you're important in the house. Yeah. So um, I promised her I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold her while I did this. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to dedicate Asia to the Lord, and we are going to take on a responsibility toward Asia as her church family Amen. to love her and care for her and support her and support Lucas and Sabrina as she's in their home. How's that? So it starts with you guys, so you'll need to stand. Um, we take dedications from um, the book of Samuel where Hannah 
she's not able to have children. And she goes to the temple. She cries out to the Lord. And Eli the prophet, I mean, she's so undone. He's like, are you drunk? It's just the morning. What's wrong with you, lady? <laughs> Too early. And she says, I'm not drunk. I'm sad. Like her, you know, she's crying out from her soul. And he said, listen, this time next year, you're going to have a, a child. And you're going to dedicate him here in the temple. And so she takes Samuel and she dedicates him in the temple. And when he's old enough, he, um, when he was weaned, she brought him back to the temple and said, this is the Lord's child. And she dedicates him to the Lord. And Samuel becomes the greatest priest that Israel ever had. And so we want to dedicate our children to the Lord. We want to dedicate those who are responsible for, guardians over to the Lord. And so we're dedicating um, Asia today. Um, but you guys have a responsibility in that, yeah? So we have a charge for the parents, but we start with the charge of the congregation. Because how we behave toward each other has a lot to do with how our children, how Asia um, is going to feel about Jesus and his church. So we want to do a good job and how I model that. And so the first charge is for you. So if you're willing, you can say we will. Do you purpose to model Christian living for Asia? Do you purpose to live in unity with one another for Asia? Do you purpose to support her and encourage her? She grows in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Amen. Right, you may be seated. Lucas and Sabrina, for as long as Asia is in your home, do you purpose to raise her in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Do you purpose to encourage her um, in her walk with Jesus? Do you purpose to show her godly marriage and life and how you live out life with each other? Yeah. All right. Then Asia, we're going to dedicate you. Elders, would you come on up? I'm going to have you stand right here. Is it okay if they just lay hands on you? Yeah. You guys want to come around? Yeah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You guys want to stretch your hands out? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. God, we thank you for Asia's life. We thank you that she's here with us for this time. We thank you for Lucas and Sabrina and their household, God, that is, that is open. We thank you for Lucas that we're following you and serving you. And Father, we just pray right now in Jesus' name, you would make us the church that Asia needs in this moment, that you would help us encourage and lift up and create a good foundation for Asia for as long as she's with us. Father, I just pray right now the steps you've ordered for her. Her mind is so good. She just has a clear way of thinking and um, she just has a discernment about her. Father, I just pray for the gifts you place within her and the purposes you have for her. We pray over every step you have ordered for her, and we pray right now in Jesus' name against every work of the enemy in her life, every obstacle he would place in the way. We pray blessing and protection over her life, and we pray right now in Jesus' name that she would have an increased ability to hear your voice and to follow you, to hear you clearly no matter how many voices are speaking, it would be like a bell ringing. She would hear your voice so clearly. It would be tuned to you, and she would know your way, Lord. We bless her life. We bless her life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We're so glad you're here. Love you. <laughs> After service, you guys will have to hug Asia and Make her feel welcome in the family. Mm -hmm. So good. Psalm 103.1.
1031. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We're talking about how to increase our capacity for God. So, um, you know, when God begins to move in greater ways, people often start to scramble and say, okay, how do we make it happen? Or I saw this thing on TV, how do you produce that thing? I want to experience that thing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Like you, you can start to feel like, like it's incumbent upon us to make something happen. When God has just said, I, I'm here, I want to move. And so we start focusing on all the wrong things. You start saying, look, well, maybe if we, maybe if the worship service was an hour longer every week, or maybe we sing these songs, not those songs. Maybe if the pastor preached more on this and not that, right? We start to try to do all those things. When really... What God is doing here in the house, if he's moving, has less to do with what we start tinkering with here and more to do with what we do when we leave here. If you want to increase your capacity for God, if you want to experience more of the Lord, then you come in here and get equipped and you go do something with it. That's going to increase your capacity. Some of you were here when, um, when Lucas made the muscle and I made the muscle, and he was embarrassed. You know, I embarrassed him. But, but Lucas, he, he's a bodybuilder, right? So he has worked that bicep. And so what happens? That bicep has a capacity for more. He can lift heavier things than I can lift. The capacity in his muscle has increased far beyond the capacity in my muscle. You got really quiet, like we don't want to offend her. You can laugh, I don't care. Because his capacity is stronger than your capacity too, so we can all laugh together. <laughs> right? And he needs more protein and more calories in his body than we need if we're not working out. Right? So if you want more of God, I mean, you need to start doing something with what he's doing and when you come into his presence, you recognize your need. When you start partnering with God and what he's doing, man, it gets real fast. It gets real fast when you partner with God and what he's doing. And so we, so we want to talk about the next few weeks, what does it look for us to partner? The things that we actually do, because how many of you know, like, it starts with being, right? Just my heart is, like, positioned toward you. But at some point, when he comes in that being, you need to go do. Those two things work together. James says, listen, stop talking about all the faith you have. Show me. Right? It's not that you need both things. Because you can be doing all the Jesus stuff, and there's no being in his presence, and that's misery. That yoke is not easy. That burden is not light. That's awful right? But I think we have focused a lot on the being, and now we're focused on, if we're going to increase our capacity, we need to be doing with what he's done for us. And the day of Pentecost comes, and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they immediately leave the room and tell somebody about it. They didn't say, man, let's rent the room again next Friday, and let's plan for an extra hour. That's not what they did. They experienced his presence and they're like let's go do something with this let's go heal someone who's sick raise the dead deliver the oppressed 
preached the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. And they left and 3,000 people got saved in the streets that day. Like so many people got saved that like the people in the upper room weren't even enough to baptize them. At some point, the first guy who got baptized was helping to baptize number 3,000. You know what I'm saying? Like what a day that will be when so many people get saved in one day that the first baptismal candidate has to help us do the rest. Come on. That's what happens on the day of Pentecost. And guess what? We read through Acts, they kept being filled. They kept being filled. People who were there on the day of Pentecost, we read about when they hear about what happens with Paul, it says the house shook and they were all filled. These people were already filled. They got filled again. Right? So there is something about you receive something from the Lord and then when you go and do something with it, you increase your capacity. Okay. There's a parable Jesus tells about servants. One is given one bag of money. One's given three bags of money. The one with one bag of money buries it because he's like, I don't want to lose any money. Maybe the master won't give me any more money. He's going to come back and want his money back. I don't want to, right? Fear, scarcity, all that. The person with three bags of money goes and invests it. When the master gets back, he's like, I got a whole bunch more money for you. The one who got one bag of money is like, well, I know you're a hard master, so I buried it. Here you go. And he's like, you're a worthless servant. I should have never given you a bag of money. Jesus tells hard parables. <laughs> they're not like little lambs. and I mean, they're hard parables, right? And then he gives even more to the one who had the three bags. Because who, who showed that they had a capacity for more? The person who went and did something with it. Okay, so increasing our capacity. If you're saying more, Lord, we want more of you, Lord. We want more of you, Lord. Um, there's ways we're going to partner with God. Obviously, one way we partner with God is sharing our faith. And we're going to deal with that in a few weeks. But the starting point, I think, starts with worship. So we experience worship here, but how many of you know you can foster worship in your own life, in your own home, in your car, where you work? <clears throat> you're like, you don't know where I work. Where I work, people are awful. That's why you're there. That's, that's why he put light in darkness. So you can either have a scarcity mentality of one bag, one bag of money. God, I'm in this terrible place. I'm just trying to hold on to what I got on Sunday. I can't wait for next Sunday because all I have is this one bag. Right? Scarcity. Or I can be like, listen, I got a bag on Sunday. I'm going to do some of that bag this week because I need more. <clears throat> I'm not just surviving this atmosphere. I'm coming over this atmosphere and changing it. One of the nights that the men were gone camping, um, Dane came in. And if you know Dane, he's real deep, right? He came in. It was like midnight. I'm like, well, what are you doing awake? What am I doing awake? Why am I still working? <clears throat> and he's like, I just... I feel sad inside. And I said, are you sad because daddy's gone? No. Are you sad because your brothers are gone? No. Well, what are you sad about? He said, it's a sadness beyond words. <laughs> and he said, it's there all the time. 
And I was like, but at Ichiban, you were laughing, so I don't think that's true. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> so I was like, well, do you, do you want to sleep with me tonight? You can sleep on Daddy's side, because he thinks our, he says your bed is like a cloud. It's his favorite place in the world. Um, I'm like, you can sleep in here tonight if you want to. And I realized at some point, he liked the fact that light was still on over on that side of the house. He was on the other side of the house where it was totally dark, and he was like, there's light. He was coming to the light is what he was doing. I was going to make a poltergeist joke, but I'm not going to. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, that'd be inappropriate. <laughs> he wanted where the light was. Why? Here's the thing. <clears throat> Darkness, I mean, you can, there's like maybe some shadows in the room. But it can be pitch black midnight, and I've been here midnight before. You turn on the light, and it illuminates the whole room. You light a candle in this room, pitch black midnight, and it's going to change the atmosphere in the entire room. Some places will still be darker than places, but it changes the atmosphere. Do you know what I'm saying? We need to take, we can't just think about, man, Sunday. I'm just waiting for Sunday. We need to take what we get on Sunday, take it into darkness, and change the atmosphere. If light is on, it should change the atmosphere around it if the light is on. And Matthew, Jesus says, don't hide your light under a bushel. Let all men see it so they could give glory to God. Right? Okay. So I want to talk specifically about worship. How we take the atmosphere of worship, what we do with it in this house, how we take it with us. Psalm 103, 1 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his name. Sometimes you need to talk to yourself because you are not in a place of worship. You are not in a state of mind to worship. David is constantly telling his spirit and his soul what to do. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who heals, who pardons your iniquity? Who heals your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit? What is David doing? Whatever I've been dwelling on needs to stop and I need to remember what he has done. David's in the middle of, there's a lot not done yet. People are trying to kill him. People are chasing him down. He could be saying, God, where are you? Instead, he says, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And forget not all the stuff he has already done. You stop this cycle of thinking right now. <laughs> he has pardoned my iniquities. He has healed my diseases. He has redeemed my life from the pit. So bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He could have said, bless the Lord. He could have said, bless the Lord, my spirit. Bless the Lord, my heart. He is my soul. How many of you know, like, you're the human body. We're like, we have a physical body. We have a spirit that was made for relationship with God, and you've got a soul. And your soul gets caught between these two things. Galatians says there is a conflict, and it won't be over till it's over. Your flesh rises up and it wants one thing. And your soul with all of its emotions and feelings and stuff can get talked into. Siding with your flesh. How many of you know what I'm talking about? When you've been feeding your spirit, when there's worship, right, and your spirit is rising up, your soul partners with your, your spirit. But your soul, where you feel your emotions, your right, your intellect, all this part of you needs to make a decision who it's going to partner with. David says, soul, 
my feelings, my thought process, my soul. Bless the Lord. Sometimes you need to tell your soul what to do. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Worship him. We don't just worship because we came in in a good mood and I'm feeling it today. Man, I'm feeling it. I'm gonna, I might lift my hands today. I'm feeling it. I might, I might go up front where Greg is today. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling something well up within me. I might even be like, yes, Lord. I'm feeling it. Right? When you're just like existing in life and surviving in life, that's how you think. When you decide you're more than a conqueror, you realize, I choose what today is going to be. And I may come in not feeling it, and on those days, I'm going to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul, this is what we're doing. This is what's happening today. And especially on those days when you come in not feeling it, when the emotions have taken you, your thought process, right? Especially on those days, you need to say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Because we need some, something to change up here. Come on. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All that's with me, bless his holy name. So what is worship? Worship is the act of actually saying all the other things in this life, I am pushing to the side and I am focusing on you and you alone to lift you up, to praise you. We were made for worship. And if you're not worshiping God, you'll worship something. Everyone worships something because we were made for worship, to be focused on something, to love something, to praise something, to honor something. We were made for that. It could be the Denver Broncos. That's just one person in this room. <laughs> My brother. <laughs> it could be the Seattle Seahawks. That's at least three in this room. Four, five, six, oh, plus Dane. <laughs> yeah, you got a yikes. Where's Paul? Paul got a yikes out of that one. Um, from Dave. Don't tell him. Okay. It could be the person you're dating. It could be the person you're married to. It could be your children. If you have them. Come on. Come on. I had a friend once. She kept getting grounded. It was when I was in junior high. She'd get grounded all the time from going to church on Wednesday because her homework wasn't done. Yeah, that was for real. Well, you know, because she's got to do good in school, and I'm thinking, why would you ground her from church if her home? So school's more important than her, right? Listen, I would rather my children be illiterate and make it to heaven <laughs> Then go to hell reading. I'm just telling you. I'm, I'm not saying it's an either-or choice. I'm just saying. If you're going to prioritize things. But how many of you know, like, you can put your kids... There are people who have real faith issues because their kids have become their God. A place of worship. You, we're made to worship. We're made to worship. And worship is like a full-body experience. Just go to a Broncos game. Right? U of M game. That's, that, the whole person is involved in that. 
they're th- why are they put their intellects involved? Why aren't they putting that guy in? Why did they take that guy out? Why no no no? Why did they make that play right? Fully engaged here, emotions. Whoo! Hail to the da, da. right. I mean, fully engaged, fully engaged. That dude with the blue finger is not thinking about his grocery list and like, ah, oh, I gotta change the oil. Like, they're focused. They're oh, worship. Sometimes worship is quiet, sometimes it's exuberant, but worship is, it has your focus, mind, body, spirit. It has your focus. You say, this time God is yours and yours alone. All the cares of this world are going and I'm focusing on you. You know, interestingly, people who practice Eastern religions, (coughs) they keep trying to get to nirvana. Meditation, right? So just empty, empty your mind totally and um, um. And maybe a few lucky people are going to reach nirvana where they have this sense of lightness and everything becomes clear and there's clarity and blah, 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 blah right? I'm sorry, I don't mean to, I don't mean to be meaning. I just mean there's a lot of other stuff. But, okay. <clears throat> Worship and Christian meditation is just the opposite. We're not emptying our minds. We're filling our minds with him. We're saying, what is your word? What does your word say is true about you? What's true about you? I'm filling my mind with all what you've done, and I'm worshiping you, right? I'm meditating on you, and I'm lifting up worship to you. And guess what? I don't have to hope at some point in my life I get to experience nirvana. Am I one of the lucky ones? Every time you worship, you get to experience heaven, that lightness, that clarity, that joy. Every single time you choose to worship. Listen, the devil has counterfeits. And his counterfeits, you have to strive your whole life sitting stupid and going, mm. you feel like this that way, I don't care. But I'm just saying, mm, mm, please, Nirvana. Mm. And I'm telling you what, most people who practice that stuff have never experienced what they would call Nirvana. They hope to someday. They listen to the band, I don't know. But every time we worship, what happens? He comes because his words is he inhabits the praises of his people. He comes, and we get to experience what people know. They don't even know him. They don't even know what they're looking for. They've got a counterfeit, and they're thinking, if I try hard enough, I'll get it. All you have to do is surrender with God. You surrender to get saved. You surrender to follow him well. You surrender to worship, right? I'm just surrendering to you. Come on. Okay. I got to go faster. You can feel in this house with anticipation, Right? As we're coming together, it's been a building anticipation. Like, what's God going to do today? What's going to happen? There's a joy in coming to, and know we're going to worship together. And listen, that's not just happening because, man, the worship team is really hitting it. Or the pastor can preach. Because, listen, I've sat in sermons that are terrible. The presence of God was there. The content was accurate. The speaker was terrible. But they love the Lord. And their heart was positioned toward him. And the presence of God was in the room. You know what I'm saying? It's not, I hope the pastor can really knock it out of the park today. It isn't about me. It isn't about them. I guarantee you what has more to do with this building anticipation we have, with this building um, experiencing of God that, that we're experiencing, it has more to do, I guarantee, with the fact that people, apart from what happens on Sunday, have been positioning their hearts toward worship throughout the week. 
you may not know this, there are people during the school year who faithfully came every Tuesday and prayed. Every Tuesday, a whole group of people come and pray over needs. Needs in the church, needs in the group, every Tuesday praying. Occasionally put on worship. People are coming before service. Let's just start creating an atmosphere before service of prayer and worship. The Bowdens been opened up with their house. Everyone's come worship. Let's come worship. Right? The young adults. They're as likely for a special event to go see a movie as they are to get together to worship. There's a whole group getting together on Thursdays. Tim's house. Get together. Worshiping God. Practicing the gifts. This is happening all over the sanctuary. Apart from what happens on Sunday. And guess what? It wasn't like I sat in my office and said, let's schedule some worship times, right? Organically, people are saying, let's, how do we make more room for worship in our lives? How can we make more room for prayer and to seek him and to... I guarantee you that has as much to do with what we're experiencing now and building into as anything I'm preaching on Sunday, anything the worship team is doing. I guarantee it. You're going to have trouble worshiping God higher than you know him. I just want to throw that out to you. So again, we experience God. What are you going to do with that experience? How are you going to put legs to that experience? It's one thing to worship God and say, God, you're faithful, and then be a complete control freak about your finances and not honor God in them. Right? When I begin to honor God in my finances, all of a sudden, I've got to see him prove himself faithful. So I've sang about it. Now I'm actually walking it out. God, I'm doing the things you told me to do. Now I get to see him prove himself faithful. It's one thing to say, God, your love is more than enough. I stand in your love. There is no fear. But then seek all kinds of inappropriate relationships because I need to get filled up with someone who pays attention to me and loves me. And Come on. God, am I going to be able to take a day where I'm lonely and say, I'm not going to make a bad choice. I'm going to turn to worship. I'm feeling empty and emptiness. I'm going to fill it with you. And then you see God meet you there. And you, you realize, oh, he supplies all my needs. All of them. Even the ones that are up here and in here. Right? Are you with me? You, at some point, you need to take what you know, about what you've learned about God through teaching, and you've experienced of God in worship, and you've got to do something with it. You've got to put it to the test. You've got to walk it out. Are you with me? And as you walk it out, you begin to know God in different ways. There are all these names for God in Scripture. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha. There's tons of them. You know where they came from? If you read through the Bible, you'll find people are constantly giving him, they're adding something to Jehovah, which is really Yahweh. It's the Germanized version of What happens? Where does he get those new add-on names? Jehovah this, Jehovah Jat, that, Jehovah... Where do they come from? People have new experiences with God, right? Abraham thinks he's got to sacrifice his son, and God provides the lamb instead. And he says, you are Jehovah Jireh. My God provides. I had a new revelation of him. Now I'm going to not just call him God, I'm going to call him God my provider. You see God do battle for you, and all of a sudden you have a new name for God, God who does battle for me. Right? All the names of God come from people having experience with God and seeing him show up in that place of need. 
you will have trouble worshiping him higher than you've experienced him. You've got to take what you know of him and do something with it, and that's going to create a greater capacity for worship and for experiencing him because you will know him in that way. And then it won't be work. As you walk with him and you know him, naturally you'll begin to turn to worship. How many of you find yourself doing that? You're in a situation, and all of a sudden you don't even know you're doing it, and you're like under your breath. You're praying in tongues. You're like you immediately are going to like, how am I talking about? You're like Jesus. Um, sometimes I'll say Jesus, and I think, oh, I should clarify it because I'm not swearing. Um, people may not. Like I'm like calling out to him, Jesus, right? How many of you just find yourself? You're not even like thinking like, oh, I should call it to God or I should worship right now, and you just start, you just go there. It's the natural thing that you go to. Someone comes to you with their problems and you're like, man, this person's in deep. Um, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And the whole time they're talking, you're talking to Jesus inside. God, where do we go with this? Right? What are you doing, Holy Spirit? Come on. And it beca- as you begin to put what you know into practice, it becomes natural to turn to him, to focus on him, to worship him, to pray, to lift up, Right? It becomes a natural thing as you begin to experience John 7:38, where out of our innermost beings flow these rivers of living water because we've been immersed. And so naturally these things begin to flow. Matthew 20, 12, 34 says, from the abundance of a heart, our mouth speaks, right? When you begin to realize what your mouth is going to is wor- in worship, you realize he's taking up more and more of your heart. Your capacity for him is increasing. Jesus says to the woman at the well who's lived a terrible life but is now putting her faith in him, he says, listen, true worshipers, it's not about where they do it, which mountain they do it on, how many songs they sang, what day they sang them on. True worshipers are going to worship me in spirit and in truth. Right? Deep calls out to deep. So you're not worried about, like, I wonder what this person is going to think if I... You come to a place of worship in your own home, here in this house, and deep begins to cry out to deep, right? right? And you're not waiting on, I hope, I hope someone gets it started today. Oh, I don't know, I don't, where's Gary? If he's not dancing, I probably can't break out. You're not waiting for someone to get it started. You showed up, the party's here. And you're ready, deep's crying out to deep. You're like with David, I was so glad. You woke up and you're like, it's Sunday. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I got some wells about to burst out. I want to do it with some people who know. I've been doing it by myself all week. Now I get to be part of a cluster bomb, not just a bomb. You know what I'm saying? Like changing everything. Anyway. God inhabits the praise of his people, Psalm 23.3. He inhabits the praise of his people. There is nothing that will bring a consciousness of God's presence in your life like praise. If you need to know that God is present with you, if you feel alone, begin to praise. Begin to worship. Come on. Praise is where you're actually saying, like, you are good. You're acknowledging what he's done. You are talking about his attributes. Worship can include that. But sometimes in worship, you're not even, there's no words even sometimes. You're just in his presence sometimes. But you, you, you want to know that God's with you? You're in trouble? Begin to worship. Nothing will raise your consciousness of his presence like worship will do. Praise blesses us. You know, Paul, um, um, David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's amazing we can bless God because he's greater than we are. 
that he actually comes and abides with us in our praise in a way that we bless him. Because usually the greater blesses the lesser. But we get to bless the Lord like he humbles himself in our presence and is blessed by us. That's awesome. <clears throat> Todd, you retired recently. Was it from Ford? Where did you retire from? AT&T, that's right. It was a big one. AT&T. Now listen, if a guy who just got hired into AT&T said, hey, uh, Todd, I heard you your last day. This is his first day. He knows nothing. He's rookie. And he's like, I got you a little something. Here's a pen. You'd be like, oh, that's nice of this young kid, right? It's nice of you. The president of AT&T comes and says, I have a million-dollar check for you, Todd. Um, one, the president has the ability to do that, where the young kid does not have the ability to do that. But, I mean, to have the president come and honor you with anything in his hand would feel like the president of AT&T took time out of his schedule to come and acknowledge that I am retiring today. That, you feel like somebody. Why? Because somebody who was greater in the food chain came down and said, you're important. The greater blesses the lesser. If Todd was to try to make an appointment with the president of AT&T, even though we know Todd's amazing and should get it, um, he probably isn't even going to get an appointment. If he said, hey, I just, I just wanted to tell what you're meeting about, Mr. Provost. What do you want a meeting for? I just want to tell him, I, just, I, I really appreciate him. Could I have half an hour of his time? I mean, the answer is going to be no. Because they don't know how awesome you are. But it's not, that's not going to happen. Because the guy way up here in the food chain doesn't make half an hour to hear that you think he's awesome. Because he already thinks he's super awesome and more awesome than you. Because that's where he's at in the food chain. That's how human beings work. Listen, the God of the universe comes and inhabits the praise of his people and says, I am blessed by your praise. Think of the position he takes the humble position he takes in our midst to allow us to come and bless him with our worship. Come on, that's crazy. I'm in my car. I'm having the worst day ever. I yelled at my kids this morning. Oh, right? I haven't done my devotions for three days. Right? I feel like, oh, you know those days where you're like, so you're like, I am unworthy for you to do anything. And you just start to worship, and the God of the universe comes in your car and hangs out with you, and you're like, oh, you're not mad. You're not mad that I'm totally screwing up this week. Come on. There's nothing that will bring the consciousness of God in your life, like his presence, than worship. Okay, last thing we need to do, because I need, I need you to have this last thing set in your heart before we... Before we go, and I need to read from Second Chronicles twenty twelve, and I want to read the, the text because this story will blow your socks off. Praise is warfare. There are things you will accomplish through your praise and worship you can never accomplish through your words, through trickery, through all the fallen world tools, through, and you, you can't accomplish other ways. It will only happen through worship. Some of you have people you love in your life right now who you're like, God, I don't, I've said everything I can say. I've tried to persuade them every way I can. And you think about the influences they have and it, 
breaks your heart. You think about what they're, breaks your, you know what? You, you don't what you can do. Start to worship through it. Start to say, God, my heart is heavy for my daughter, my son, my dad, my mom, my coworker, my whatever. My heart is heavy, so I'm going to worship you. And that's how you fight that battle. <laughs> we sing about it. That's how you fight the battle. Worship will accomplish the thing that you want. Sometimes more than anything else we can do. I'm not saying want, just like a want thing, but sometimes, however, you know, you are surrounded. And you can try to go all control freak on it, or you can say, God, I recognize I am not control of the situation, no matter how hard I try, so I'm just going to turn it to you in worship. Second Chronicles 20, 12. I love this story. Are you with me? Can we read it through? I, I, know, it's, I know we're a little long. Okay. Yep, I will need these. Okay. I'm going to start in verse 12. Here we go. So um, people were coming against, there are people who had not been driven out of the land when Israel came to possess the land of Israel. And some of these folks who were left, and now generations later, they're coming against Israel. And they're like, Lord, this is your fault. We should have driven them out in the beginning. What's going on? And they're, how have you ever been like, God, what are you doing? This is your fault, right? You ever been there? It's not really, but we feel that sometimes, Right? Jehoshaphat is king. He says, We have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. Mm. I don't even know what to do about this situation, but my eyes are on you. I'm looking for whatever you say. Whatever you do, I'm doing. We can't, we have no power in this situation, but my eyes are on you. Now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, and the son of Jael, the son of Mat- Mataniah, and a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus the Lord, thus the Lord says to you, Do not be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Listen, if you're a believer, you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, so are all your problems. The battle's no longer yours, it's the Lord's. You with me? Because the battle is no longer yours, but the battle is the Lord's. Then the Spirit of the Lord, okay, here we go. Um, I got too excited. But tomorrow, go down against them, verse 16. They will surely come up to the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. What? Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. 
Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. So they have to go fight a battle. And what do they do? Anybody who can sing, you come out in front, you're going to lead us. Even those of you who doesn't sound very good, you come on up too. That's who's going to lead in battle. Think about that. Think about how much you have to surrender control when you have an entire nation of people who are depending on you and God has said you will not fight this, worship, and you send your worshipers out ahead of your entire nation. Women and children are among them. How much do you have to trust God and not your own control? which wants to say, well, let's be, let's be wise at least. Send, some, send the archers ahead. You know what I'm saying? Come on. Come on. The worse the situation, the more you have to relinquish control and say, God, it's you. It was never me. It was never my battle. It's always been your battle. Now, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So the people who are coming against Israel, God sets their hearts against each other. Two of them gang up against one, and the two who are left begin to, gang up, begin to fight each other. The whole time, Israel has no idea this is happening. They're marching toward battle with singers in front. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen to the earth. No one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place was called the valley of Barakah, which means praise and blessed until this day. Then they returned, every man of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Come on! Come on! What in the world? These people are all coming against them, and God's like, listen, it's my battle, not yours. Worship. They send out singers. That's how they fought their battles. <laughs> they began to worship. When they get to the battlefield, what's happened? All their enemies are dead. And not only that, but they left all, they came into battle with a bunch of jewelry on. <laughs> what? So not only did God defeat the enemy, they walked away rich. Listen, there are situations you're walking through and you're saying, God, where are you in this? 
where are you in this? And you're having to make a choice to say, but my eyes will remain on you. I will keep turning worship to you. I believe you're fighting on my behalf. And in the end, the plans you have are better than I could ever conjure up. It's hard to believe when you're in it. It's hard to believe when you're in it, but when you take what the enemy means for harm and you see how God turns that thing around for good, you'll be blessing his name. You'll be saying, he's delivered me from the pit with David. Bless the Lord, O my soul. His mercy endures forever. He's so good. You won't just know that God is good. You'll experience God is good. You won't just know he's a provider. You will experience him a provider. If you would stand. Worship team, come on up. <clears throat> I want to encourage, we're going we're gonna to end in worship in response to God, in response to the word. Some of you in this room, man, you have needs in the house or you have maybe, there's people in your life and you think, God, there's got to be breakthrough, I don't know how. Maybe there's an issue in your life, there needs to be breakthrough, you don't know how. It could be healing, it could be financial, it could be relational, I don't know. But listen, as we worship today, that battle is being fought there are two kinds of lions talked about in the Bible. There's the lion of Judah. Judah means praise. The lion of Judah fights our battles. Who's the lion of Judah? Praise. <laughs> lion of Judah. Judah means praise. Lion of Judah, right? Powerful to overcome. Praise is what it means. There's a second lion, right? Peter talks about the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may destroy. That's what he says. And if you've ever been in the Serengeti or the Maasai Mara and you've watched lions do their thing, what do they do? Lions are lazy. No, seriously, they're super lazy. All they want to do is be cool all day, like in the shade. So when they get hungry enough to do it, if they're roaring, they're actually kind of desperate. They, there might be a herd. The reason why they roar is to see who's weak. Because when the herds are grazing, and the lion roars, they can see who runs well, they can see who's fast, and they can see who's lame. They can see which one's broken, they can see which one's slow. And they go after the one that's already broken. Listen, the enemy is a liar. He doesn't play fair. He roars like a lion. Who's, who can I get? Let's see. Let's see who's damaged. Let's see who's... <laughs> Listen, he doesn't play fair. Some of you, you have situations, you can hear a roar. He's coming after your family. He's coming after, come on. You need to worship the line of Jew today and praise because he cannot overcome him. And he comes on our behalf. He's victorious. Not just a suffering lamb, but the lion of Judah who overcomes. When we praise, we worship, it's like Acts 6.26. Praise delivered Paul and Silas from prison. Psalm 49.8 says that praise will bind kings in chains and nobles with fetters of iron. There are things coming against you and your praise is going to bind. What seems like a powerful thing, a king, a noble, will bind those things as you praise. Listen, let's not underestimate the goodness of God. Let's respond now in worship. And really, not just in this house. My goal here today is that we would turn our hearts to worship but when we leave here. We carry it with us. We're worshiping in our homes. We're worshiping in our places of work. We're increasing our capacity for God and partnering with what he's doing by not just having it for ourselves, but changing the atmospheres everywhere we go because we worship. We're people of worship. 
So if you need prayer today, you come on, respond, get prayer. And if you don't need prayer, let's just begin to worship. Amen.
God is good. God is good. We sense his presence here. But his call to us is to say, don't confine me to Sunday morning for an hour and a half or two hours. That what we're experiencing here, we take with us. And we do something with it. We partner with him in worship. We're going to partner with him in intercession. We partner with him in making disciples. There's so many ways we partner with him. But man, take, start with worship. Start with worship. Because in worship, your relationship with him will grow. Your awareness of his presence will grow. Your reliance on him will grow. And everything else we partner with him will flow out of that place of relationship. So I encourage you this week, make altars of worship <laughs> all over the place, in your home, in your car. Paul says, I pray without ceasing. I think there's a point where like, it just consumes us, just our awareness of him and partnering with him. We want more of you, Lord. <laughs> we want more of you, Lord. And we're going to partner with you to increase our capacity for you, Lord. We're not just asking for something for you to show up and magically do for us. <laughs> but Father, we've recognized your goodness and we're going to pursue it. Our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. If you're praying with folks, continue to pray. I just feel like there's, I feel like there's more ministry in the house today than is happening. Um, so if you have a need, you can grab any believer near you. Every believer has the king without measure. Don't leave with just bearing all your burdens alone. The Bible says the Bible says we can bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So grab somebody to pray with you. Some of you in this house, you might have a word of encouragement. It might even seem silly or simple. But man, sometimes God has that simple word for someone and it changes everything. So maybe there's someone you need to you need to just prophetically encourage today. But let him work through you. Would you pray with me as we end today? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory <laughs> forever. Amen. Amen. God is good. God is good.